you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So growing up uh, as a drummer, I love the drums. I still play the drums. It's one of my passions in life. And growing up as a drummer, one of the coolest things that could have happened to me is that the drummer for Billy Joel, Liberty DeVito, came to our church and was our church drummer. So he would play MSG on Saturday night and play our little church on Sunday morning. It was incredible. And I got to learn from him and got to know him. But what was funny is my pastor was in the city early on when Liberty first started coming to the church. And so he'd seen Liberty maybe like a time or two. And he saw Liberty leaning against a taxi cab at the airport on his way. And he said, oh, I recognize that guy from church. And so the next time he saw him in church, he said, I know what you do. And Liberty's thinking, oh, okay, yeah, the whole Billy Joel thing, I know, I know. And my pastor goes, you drive a taxi cab. <laughs> and uh, he's like, not quite, you know. And so he went ahead and kind of informed him on what he actually does. And I want you to think about how that applies to us in our relationship with Jesus. Because some of us came into church today, and we had this whole idea of who Jesus was and, and what he looks like and, and what he's like. Not quite. Right? Sometimes we got to look to the Word of God and we got to open up our eyes again and say, oh, that's who Jesus is. And so we're doing this series, Jesus the Servant. And we're going to talk today about some questions that come up as we get into this next chapter. And so here's a few of the questions we're going to look at. First off, is there a right kind of anger? Right? I mean, I think at first we think, no, of course there's not a right kind of anger. Anger is always wrong or uh, anger gets us into trouble. And so how do we avoid that? We just avoid anger. Well, we're going to dive into that today. Question two. Are we missing Jesus right in front of us? Like, are we today maybe the person that's going, God, just give me a sign that you're there, and he gives us a sign, and then we go, okay, God, was that a sign from you? Right? Like, what does it look like to recognize Jesus when he's working in our lives and, and not miss him right in front of us? And along with that, maybe it's not that we're missing Jesus altogether. It's just that we're missing his heart, right? Jesus' heart beats for certain things, doesn't it? What does it look like to understand that and have his heart? Question number three. What does Jesus' relationship with the disciples show us about our relationship with him? Jesus set up this beautiful thing when he began a community with the disciples. And, and what does it look like to learn from that so we know what our relationship with God is supposed to look like? And lastly, what is the unforgivable sin? Did you know there is one? Whoa, everybody's nervous right now. <laughs> okay. And it's not like in country music. That is not the unforgivable sin. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, first service thought that was really funny. You guys are a little lame, but... Um, You'll see today that there is an unforgivable sin and what that is. And this is critical stuff to talk about because when we see this stuff for what it is, we see Jesus, right? We don't want to misconstrue what Jesus actually looks like or what he's actually like. If you're not a follower of Jesus, there's several times throughout the message today, I'm going to be speaking right to you. And so I pray that you're ready. So as I said, we're doing this series, Jesus the Servant, and Mark wrote the book of Mark, and we're going through that book. And Mark was close friends with Peter, the disciple, the eyewitness of Jesus' life, and that's where he got his information from. And so Joe did an awesome job last week taking us through chapter 2, and we're going to be in chapter 3 here today. So Mark 3 verse 1 says this. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man, picture this with me. This really happened. This is history. This is a story that we have to see with our mind. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Are you picturing that? Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. These people, the Pharisees, had a totally misunderstanding of what God's heart really was, right? They see this man come in. He's got a shriveled hand, and they're watching him. 
Instead of watching him with expectation, like, wow, here's this man with this shriveled hand that God could heal, that Jesus could heal, even though they didn't believe he was God, but, but what could he do? They had heard the rumors that Jesus could heal. They knew that he was a miracle worker. Instead of wanting healing for this man, they want to catch Jesus doing it. Because if they catch Jesus healing on the Sabbath, technically they can call that work, and then they've got him. Then, they can't, uh, th- th- then he can't continue to do the things he wants to do. And so it says in verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. So Jesus had asked this brilliant question. And the question that he asked was so brilliant, it shut up his accusers and they had nothing to say because the reply and the answer was obvious. Of course it's to do good on the Sabbath. Of course, of course to bring life would be a good thing to do on the Sabbath. And right here we get to question number one. Is there a right kind of anger? Some of you are like, yeah, when I get cut off on the expressway, that's <laughs> displaying the right kind. No, that's the wrong kind of anger. There is a right kind of anger. Look at this. Jesus, he looked around at them in anger. Wow, see, there's something that welled up in Jesus, a pure and holy and right anger because here were some people acting in an unjust way. And sometimes we think Jesus is love. He's Jesus. How can he have anger? How, isn't he supposed to be devoid of all anger? But here he is in this example showing us that there are things that are to get us angry so that we'll do something about them, right? Like there should be an anger in us that rises up about the sex trade. There should be an anger in us that rises up about political seasons where Christians mistreat each other. That's not supposed to happen. Right? Now here's the problem. Our anger often, A, isn't righteous, or B, it manifests in a way that's not righteous, right? It comes out, and that's a big problem for us as Christians. I'm angry about something I should be angry about, but I'm going to take it out on the wrong way or on the wrong people. So here's what we don't do. With that righteous anger, we don't make a Facebook post. We do not, okay? We don't make an Instagram story, right? Like, we are careful about how we talk about this. And here's how I want to say this. Don't make a fit, or don't have a fit, make a difference. Don't have a fit, make a difference, right? That's the thing. We get angry about the right thing, and then we have a fit. No, instead, what we're called to do, what Jesus would do here, is we're going to go ahead and make a difference. This is the only time that a gospel writer says Jesus was angry. Now, there's some examples of Jesus being angry, but Mark's the only one that says Jesus looked at them in anger, and his anger was right and righteous, and he was angry about their hypocrisy and their legalism. But let's keep reading. It says, he's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Here are these stubborn people missing the point. Right? Instead of going, wow, Jesus, when he teaches, there's authority and life behind it. Wow, Jesus is doing miracles. Like, hmm, maybe there's something to this that we should open up our hearts to. But instead, they're stubborn toward him. He threatens their authority. They believe he's a political uh, potential threat to them, even though that was never his heart or his agenda. It goes on. He said to the man, ever say said? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. This amazing miracle happens. Now Jesus said to the man on purpose. Like in other portions of the scripture, Jesus would do different things to bring healing to different people, right? But in this instance, he said it on purpose. He didn't go over and touch his hand. He didn't move his hand. He didn't even put out his own hand. Why? Because if he had, the the, the Pharisees could have accused him of working on the Sabbath because he expended energy. 
See how messed up these guys were? He spoke. They had no accusation against him. But healing came just the same to this man. It says in verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So there is a right kind of anger, everybody. It's that righteous anger. But we got to be careful how we let it out. We have to let it out in righteous ways. Righteous anger rises up, let it out in righteous ways. How do you do that? You make a difference. You don't make a fit. You don't make a fuss. You make a difference, right? But we're going to keep going here. And we're going to see here that we're sometimes missing Jesus right in front of us. That's our second question. Are we missing him right in front of us? And so uh, somebody here today, maybe like the, the Pharisees here, you're, you're just missing him. He's right there, right? Like he's shown himself to you over and over and over again, but it's like, no, nah, I'm going to keep my heart hard, or my heart hard, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay hard-hearted. I'm going to stay stubborn. And, and I just think sometimes we are trying to save ourselves. Jesus is there going, hey, I'm your Savior. I came to rescue you. Stop trying to earn your way to me. Is that anybody today, right? I'm just trying to do the right things, and if I do enough right things, then I'll be good with God. Don't miss Jesus right in front of you. Don't miss his heart. Maybe some of us, our heart is hardened toward him because of pain. I want you to see Jesus, the servant, who comes to you and I in our pain. Jesus, another nickname for him is the suffering servant because he's walked where we walk. He understands pain and hardship. So how can we not open our hearts to the God who opened his heart to suffering and pain? And so don't allow your heart to be hard. Don't miss Jesus standing right in front of you. Years ago when my kids were small, we were on our way from our house to a community group meeting. I think it was Ron's house, and it, which is a little bit of a trip for us. And so we're driving our way out there. And my, uh, my kids, I think back in the day, we, if anybody remembers those little DVD players you used to put on the back of the headrest. And so they're watching iCarly or something on the back of the headrest. And I go into the store and um, I, I come out, I come out of this gas station and it's really windy, like crazy windy. And so I'm like, how funny would it be if I pretend the wind is just throwing me all over the place? And so I'm like, just falling and, and rolling and I'm rolling across the hood of the car and like thinking like, how funny is this going to be? And I open up the door and Kelly's hysterically laughing with me. And we look back and our kids are just watching iCarly. They missed the entire thing. Like all my acrobatics for nothing. Sometimes we're missing what's right in front of us, man. I would just say to you today, don't miss Jesus right in front of you. Now, some of you are like, Doug, I get it. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not missing him. Let me ask you this. Are you missing his heart? Maybe you know him as Savior. Maybe you'd say, oh, no, I love him, and I'm in a relationship with him. But are you missing his heart for anything? Because that's what the Pharisees were missing. Yes, they were missing God right in front of them. Here they are trying to keep rules for God, and they can't even see him when he's standing right there. But along with that, they're missing his heart. And I would encourage you to do something, maybe later today. I encourage you to go home and take out a blank sheet of paper and draw a line down that paper. On the right side, I want you to write left. Uh, yeah, write left. <laughs> right, right, this is a really confusing exercise, everybody. Write, write life. And on the left side, I want you to write death. And then I want you to characterize and categorize the things in your life. Just think about it. What would go under the life column? Because that's Jesus' heart. Jesus wants to bring life to this man. His hand's shriveled. Let me heal you. Let me do a miracle in front of everybody. And the Pharisees are now going to plot to bring death to Jesus. So there, in every area of our life, there's that life and there's that death column, isn't there? So what would you write on the life side? You know, maybe generosity toward those who are in need. Maybe coming alongside someone who is hurting right now. Maybe uh, aiming my life at purity. Maybe it's a closer relationship with Jesus, but on the death side, like what are those things that 
are missing the heart of God that, that lead to death, not just eternally or even physically, but death of a relationship, death of innocence and purity, right? Death of influence that you can have because you're in sync with God. And maybe the, the things on that side would be jealousy or pride or anger or unforgiveness, right? Like a little exercise later just to say, God, am I missing your heart in any way? Let's not miss him and let's not miss his heart. I'm gonna summarize a couple verses for you. Jesus has all these people coming out now. Everybody's following Jesus and he's healing and he's setting people free from demonic power. And in verse 13, we're gonna continue to go here. We've already seen the answers to question one and question two. And now this is gonna get us into question three. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Question three, what does Jesus' relationship with the disciples show us? He wanted to be with them. He wanted to be with them. Like, read this with me. This is James Edwards. He says, Jesus sovereignly summons the 12 into a new community and to a mission that is founded on religion. No, it doesn't say that. Into a mission that is founded on rules. No, it doesn't say that. A mission that's founded on do's and don'ts. It doesn't say that. A mission that's founded on a relationship with himself. That's what he wants. He desires closeness with you and me. Like that is absolutely mind-blowing, right? Jesus didn't circle up the disciples and say, let me give you a list of things to do. I'm out. He said, let me live with you for three and a half years. Let me have community with you. Let there be a relationship. Let me talk to you. Let me listen to you. And here we are 2,000 years later, and he's still wanting to hear from us, and he's still wanting to talk to us. And it's so powerful that he didn't just give them a list. What a mess they would have been, by the way. They were a mess enough with Jesus there. What a mess they would have been without him, right? I mean, remember there was that time that some of the disciples got offended that the town didn't accept Jesus, and so they said, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven on them? And Jesus was like, Bro, seriously, right? There was that time Peter chopped off some guy's ear, right? Like, thank God he didn't just leave them to themselves. Thank God he had a relationship with them. He wanted to teach them some things. Hey, let me teach you how to preach. That'd be cool. I wish I got lessons right from Jesus on how to preach. Hey, let me teach you what it is to pray. Let me teach you what it is to see miracles and lives changed. He wanted them to be eyewitnesses that they would see his life and death and resurrection and Guys, he wanted to show us it's about a relationship. And so what does Jesus' relationship with the disciples show us about our relationship with him? He wants to be with you. He wants to teach you things. He wants you to have a conversation with him and an openness in your, your day where you could just talk to God. Like, how cool is that? Like, what other God did this? No one else. Like, you read movies or, or yeah, you read movies. I'm having trouble today, guys. You watch movies or you, or you read books. I was just making sure you're awake. And, um... As you're, you're, you're like, you know, learning about other religions, you're learning about uh, even like the pagan religions or, or just fiction, right? And you're like, wow, look at the God in that movie. Look at the God in this book. Look how they just want a servant. They, they, they want a slave, right? But here's Jesus, the servant. Here's Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who came for you and me who wants to speak to us and hear from us and teach us things and walk with us and hold our hand. Like, this is just mind-blowing that he did this for you and me. Let's keep going. 
These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Guys, Jesus took a few fishermen and a former tax collector who was hated, like Joe talked about last week, and he changed the world. He had a whole new mission, all based on a community and a relationship with them, and we're still talking about them 2,000 years later. Read what the New Bible Commentary says. Here we go. It is important to notice that Jesus, Jesus shared his power with very imperfect humans like us. Indeed, Mark seems throughout the whole of his gospel, so there's a little theme here in Mark's gospel, to go out of his way to emphasize the imperfection, to say imperfections. The imperfections of the 12, not the giftedness, the anointing, the calling. He highlights the imperfection of the 12, and especially of Peter. And Peter's going, bro, like I'm your eyewitness to all this, and you're going to throw me under the bus here and put all my failings in your gospel? He says, who in many ways was the leader. It makes God's grace all the more wonderful, that there were no supermen, you hearing this, or superwomen, in the New Testament, only sinners saved by grace. New Testament saints do not have bright halos around their heads. That was an invention of the later church. Guys, what, what are the odds that this was going to work? <laughs> like, can you, here's Jesus with this messy group. He wants a relationship with them. He forms this little community with them. What are the chances that they're going to go actually change the world and we will still be talking about them 2,000 years later? Like if you're a betting person back in this time, you're not putting any money on them. Like imagine a, a modern day press conference and Jesus is trying to get the word out to the businesses and get some investors, you know? So let's just have a little fun with this. He's standing at the podium. He's got his hair back in a ponytail, nice suit on, right? <laughs> Disciples are kind of like dressed up a little bit better than usual, and he just starts going, hey guys, uh, I'm Jesus, uh, son of God, you know, God in the flesh, and I got some guys here, I, I know they're, they're going to get there, they're going to get there, it's all right, you know, smell a little, ex-tax collector, I get it, but we're working on it, but I just want to let you know that me and these 12 guys, man, we're going to just turn the world upside down, and uh, Jesus says, I'm going to do some pretty incredible things. There's going to be all kinds of healing and all kinds of un unbelievable things you won't even imagine. And in 2,000 years from now, they're going to be talking about the 13 of us. How cool is that? And, and by the way, the way it's all going to work is I am going to be crucified and placed in a grave, and I'm going to rise back from the dead. Would you invest? The only way that works is if Jesus was actually God. The only way that works is if the things he said about himself and claims were true. And so what does Jesus' relationship with his disciples show us about our relationship with him? Well, first off, we already saw that he wants that relationship with us, that community with us. But, but secondly, what it shows us is he can do incredible things in our lives no matter how ordinary or messed up we currently are. Like right where we find the disciples is right where so many of us are. And I'm so grateful that Mark highlights the failures of the disciples because that's the world sometimes we live in, isn't it? Others' failures and our own failures. Times we've had it together and we, wow, look at us. And then times we crash and burn. I'm so thankful that 
The disciples didn't have halos and there were no supermen or superwomen in the New Testament, just people who were saved by grace and loved the Lord and, and fell and got up and fell and got up and fell and got up and the love of God continued to walk with them and go with them. Amazing. Verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. Okay? His brothers are like, Jesus is crazy. He's losing it. Now, we can't be too hard on his brothers because here's a question for you. What would it take to convince you your brother is God? So those of you who laugh just said a lot about your brother, okay? So, no. <laughs> right? What would it take? And so we can't be too hard on them. But if I could just ruin the end of the story for you, if you don't know it yet, guess who all believed once Jesus came out of the grave? Guess who wrote books of the Bible after Jesus rose again? Those very same brothers who thought that he was crazy. But right now, they think he's nuts. Verse 22, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebul, which means the devil. And so they think, wow, just, they see something. They, they, they see power because a man's hand was just healed. But they think it's from the devil goes on. He's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? He's going, if I were linked up with Satan, I wouldn't be driving Satan out. I would be advancing what he's trying to do. Verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. He's saying Satan wouldn't be fighting Satan. So clearly I'm not linked up with him. Verse 27, in fact, and I love this, this is so powerful, no one can enter a strong man's house, picture this, without first tying him up, and then he can plunder the strong man's house. What's all this about? Well, this is a perfect illustration right here, because if you came into my house, you would have to tie me up before you took all my stuff, obviously, because I'm crazy jacked, right? Like, so <laughs> that's just clear, right? Now, I love that what this is saying is the strong man in this illustration is Satan. And it's the death and resurrection that bound him up. But here's what's so powerful. Do you know what Jesus stole from Satan when he did that? You and me. Because we were bound up. Think about this. God did to Satan what Satan had done to you and me. You and me were tied up. You and me were bound. You and me were stuck. And through the death and resurrection, he bound Satan up and came and said, come with me. And I love that this means Jesus is so much stronger because who can you bind up and plunder but the person that you're stronger than? And Jesus is placed in the grave and Satan thinks, I got him. And then Jesus rises back from the dead. Just a general piece of advice. If someone dies and they're in the grave and they come back, just run, okay? If they're, right? they're a lot stronger than you. And so God clearly showed who he was and what he could do. And so I hope today you know how rescued you are. Like what a powerful image of our great God pulling us out of something we could never pull us out of. And that, that just goes to show us again, we can't rescue ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We needed God to come in and tie up that strong man. I'm just telling you today, you can't do it yourself. If you're here going, Doug, I don't know about this, man. You're talking a lot today about the devil and Satan, and I don't know if I believe in all that stuff. In two weeks, we're going to tackle some of that. Can we really believe in the devil and all that? We'll tackle that in two weeks, but let's keep going. And it goes on here 
into a really interesting part of the, of the chapter. It says in verse 28, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Now we're used to that part. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an internal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Question four, what is the unforgivable sin? What is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? Now, people have different takes on this. People have said different things over the years. In fact, when I was in middle school, I was at um, the Christian school I went to. It was a great school, but this was a long time ago, and, and, and this was an interesting situation I was in. I, I was in class, and, and somebody said something, and I responded to it with the phrase, oh my God. And my teacher looked at me and said, you just committed the unforgivable sin. And I said, well, I guess I'm toast. <laughs> guess I'm going to hell, 12 years old, at least I know, you know. And I remember being so weighed down by that. Like, what am I going to do with that? Now, I'm all for not just saying, oh my God. I think if you say, oh my God, you should really be talking to God, right? But that is not the unforgivable sin. There's one unforgivable sin. There's one blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And here's what it is. It's when you and I never look to Jesus as Savior, when we never allow our heart to be softened toward him, and we remain obstinate like these Pharisees were, and we remain stubborn, and we close our hearts to the things of God. And we, it, it kind of makes sense that that's the unforgivable sin because we all know, or many of us know in the room, that the way to salvation is trusting in Jesus. And so the opposite must be true, that if we don't trust in Jesus, that's unforgivable. And it's not that God doesn't want to forgive that sin, it's that the heart remains obstinate and cold and closed. And I would just say to you today, don't be that person. Don't miss Jesus right in front of you. Don't miss the things that he's done and the signs that he's shown you that he's there. Don't miss his desire to work in your life and have a relationship with him, a close relationship, not just a bunch of rules. And listen, do's and don'ts are important because they protect us in a lot of ways, but that's not how you get saved. And it's not how you gain favor with God. You have favor with God. He is crazy for you, and he loves you so much. But allow your heart to be softened. Let's wrap up the next few verses here. Verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your, mother's, excuse me, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now what's he saying? It seems like a cold response. He's not being cold. What he's saying is, is hey, it's about community with me. It's about relationship with me. It's about closeness with me. My mother and brothers are here. Awesome. But the people that follow me and walk with me and know me, those are my family. That's my community. Those I'm in relationship with. What an awesome thing that you and I are called the family of God, the brothers and the sisters of God, the children of God. What a powerful thing. You and I have that as our name. And so what have we seen today? Is there a right kind of anger? Yes, there's a right kind of anger, that, that anger that looks at a situation and says, that's wrong. And again, don't allow unrighteous anger into your heart, but don't allow righteous anger to come out in unrighteous ways. Right? Don't make a fit, make a difference. So is your heart angry about anything today, righteously? Then what do we do? Right? If it's the sex trade, we raise money and awareness to stop that. If it's Christians being angry at each other around politics and all this time of year and everything coming up, 
man, we got to work on that and stop that because the scriptures say that the world's going to look at us and know that we're actually Christians by our love for each other. And that doesn't mean just the people you line up with politically. It's all of us. So we love each other well. Don't make it fit, right? Make a difference. I'm so thankful for Soundview Pregnancy that we get to come alongside of families who are hurting and in the midst of situations that are in crisis and not just say, oh, we feel so bad. Oh, we'll pray for you. No, it's let's make a difference. How powerful. So what has your heart angry in a righteous way? Make a difference. Kids in the room, if somebody's being bullied, make a difference. Don't allow that. Don't stand for that, but let it come out in righteous ways, right? Let's keep going. Are we missing Jesus right in front of us? If you're here today and you're just like, oh, I don't know, I, I feel like I've seen him. I feel like he's showing up. I talked with a couple after the first service, and they were like, we just feel like God's just showing himself to us in so many different ways right now. But we're like still wrestling. Is it really you? Is it really you? Man, allow him to show himself to you. He loves you. He wants that. You know, he wants you to see him for who he is. Are you missing his heart? Get with that piece of paper and a Sharpie. Man, in my life, what would be under the life side and what would be under the death side? Question three, what does a relationship with Jesus' disciples show us about ours? Our relationship with him, man, he, he wants to be close to us. He wants to be near to us. And, and he wants to take you and I as ordinary and messed up as we might be right here currently and do unbelievable things in our lives. Thank God for the disciples and their failures. Gives hope for each of us as God is patient with us and working in us. And lastly, what's the unforgivable sin? It's just simply refusing to trust Jesus and refusing to allow him to work in our lives. Don't be that person today. Next week, we're gonna continue the series. Next week, we're gonna continue to talk about the book of Mark and dive into some really powerful stuff. I'm excited for us as a church to look at together. And so I hope to see you next Sunday. But what have we seen today? I think we've seen a Savior who did a whole lot to be close to us, a servant, one who's so different than all those gods in the movies and the books and the religions, but a person who came, a servant who came to love us and not just wash our feet and heal our bodies and set us free from you know, the things that ail us here in this life, but to give us eternal life knowing him as he died and rose again. Let's pray together. God, you are good. Father, thank you for the great plan of salvation. Thank you for the truths we find in Scripture today. And Jesus, we just come and we just ask that, Lord, something will have reached us this morning, God, that we won't leave here the same way, God, but that as we think through those questions, something will have spoken to us. And so, God, I, I pray first off, Lord, that a righteous anger would rise up in us, but it would come out in righteous ways. And so help us with that, God. Is there something in your life that you need to deal with in a righteous way? Is there something that upsets you that you can grab a hold of a vision and, and say, now we make a difference. Now we bring the help and the hope of God. God, I pray that none of us will miss you right in front of us. God, help us to see you clearly. And God, may we not miss your heart. May we not stack up a bunch of things on that death column and miss those things that lead to life and those things that bring life as we do it your way. So help us, God. Lord God, I just pray for each of us that we would have that close relationship like we saw the disciples had with Jesus. And I pray that, God, we would come to you as ordinary and messed up as we might be here this morning. Just say, God, I, I give of you me. I, give, I surrender my life to you. You're, you're what I want to focus my heart and attention on. You're, you're my everything, and so I'm just laying it down, God. So use me, God. I, I come messed up. I come ordinary, but I thank you that 
you're a supernatural God who can do the impossible. And so I give you me today. Maybe lastly, some of you here today would say, man, to my heart, to to this point, my heart's been hardened toward the things of God. I've been not trusting him as savior. I've been looking away. I've been trying to earn my own salvation or I just don't even put any any credence in this faith stuff. And today, God, I just pray that there'd be many in this place and watching online that will put their trust in you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, would you pray with me now? Just quietly, silently, you could say something like this, Jesus, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, the servant, that you came to rescue me. Thank you that you plundered the strong man's house. That God, you tied him up and untied me freed me to be yours. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In your name I pray. Amen.